you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this next episode of the Matt Singer's Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Todd, Todd Palmer himself. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. Excellent. Todd, still a few people around the world that haven't heard about you. Who are you? <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I'm sure there's many people, but after our, our podcast today, at least there'll be fewer who have not heard of me. Um, so I, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've been a CEO for 25 years. Um, I've recently retired from that business. And now I do um, full-time coaching and speaking, helping entrepreneurs through my company, Extraordinary Advisors, do inside-out leadership training to help them get unstuck around their business, take their complicated business issues, make them simple, so they can really create a, a life by design that typically involves entrepreneurship with, with their personal life in a work-life integration model that helps them, uh, you know, hopefully enjoy a, a better, a better life and a more profitable experience versus trying to do it all by themselves. Yep. That makes total sense. And it definitely sounds like we are dealing with some of the same clients. So that's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. yes. What's the biggest challenge you have ever faced management wise Todd? Oh, wow. So when I was running the business day to day, the biggest challenge, the biggest bottleneck in the company, the biggest problem within the company was me. Um, the bottleneck was at the top of the bottle and I, you know, I, I got as got into being an entrepreneur, like most people do, um, thinking, well, I have a better idea or I have a better system or I have a better app or I have a better, a better something. When in reality, once I got more self-awareness, I got into business to either pr to prove to myself or to prove to somebody else I can actually do it. And, and that driver was all consuming but it also created a lot of blind spots. And some of my blind spots are around finance. Some of my blind spots were around people management. And some of my blind spots were in how I showed up as the leader. And 10 years into my entrepreneurial journey, um, the business was in bad shape. I had gotten the company $600,000 into debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money. The bank was threatening to take my house. Um, I'm a single parent at the time. It's just my son and I, he's freaking out. I'm freaking out. My, the demands on me far and away exceeded my internal resources, my financial resources. And so for the first time in my entrepreneurial journey, being 10 years in, I finally raised my hand and I asked for help and I hired a coach. And, and the coach came in and he took a look at the finances. We were able to figure out where the holes in, in the company were financially. We plugged those, took a look at my team. Um, I, I was doing a poor job as a leader. I was avoiding conflict. I was not dealing with things. I was not dealing with employee issues. And unfortunately, we had to make some swift changes. So I let my entire company go. I fired my entire company in one day and I started over. And in that process, over the next eight years, we were able to pay off all $600,000 in debt. And we made the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies in the United States in amazing six times. So it was quite the entrepreneurial journey from 600000 debt to Inc. 5000 six times in, in less than 10 years. And it... Um, Hopefully anybody who listening today who's like thinking, oh, I've got some problems. Here's my problems. Like, oh, that guy's he was much worse off than I be. I should probably pay more attention to what how how do you fix the problem? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And uh, 
Yeah, I find that interesting. So you, you, you fired your entire company one day. How, how many staff did you have at the time? That was 12 people. That was 12 people. Okay. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds challenging. Well, it, and it was my fault. I mean, the reality was I screwed up. The reality yeah. was uh, I wasn't, until my coach really kind of came in and, and shone a light on my deficiencies as a leader, you know, I, it, I just, I did the typical thing most entrepreneurs do. If the business is doing great, I must be great. And if the business is doing poorly, I must stink. And, and the reality is, you know, it, it, it's not true. And my imposter syndrome was so large. It was, I used to call it my negative, you know, my itty bitty shitty committee meeting in my head on a daily basis telling me how much I suck. And I listened to that so much. And once I wrestled that down and once I was able to figure out how I could best work through my internal challenges to show up better in the company, that's when things started to change. The business didn't change until I chose to change. And that is what my coach helped me figure out. Yeah. Oh, and that's, I mean, a lot of people is in that situation, right? I think, I think for a lot of people, not, not just the way they show up, but I also think the way they look at themselves and, and I mean, fundamentally, a lot of time people know what they should do, but they oh, aren't awesome. doing it. Totally. Right. Like I, sometimes it's so easy being a coach, right? Because some clients, I mean, definitely not all of them, but sometimes, you know, you have clients that are like, well, so what's your problems and okay, what should you do to solve it? And you know, they know all the answers. They're just not doing it. Right. Because often it's easier not to do it than to go do it and deal with it. Well, I, th I think one of the, the real hidden traps of entrepreneurship is we don't have a boss. We are our own boss. And I, 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 was, I fell victim to that. And really, once I figured out that I did have a boss and the boss was the bank because they're going to take everything, that, you know, then I had to shift and change. And one of the greatest things my coach taught me was we created a bond of trust that allowed me to trust him enough that he was going to help me navigate my hero's journey from a high. And so that made me accountable to him. And I would yeah. check in with him at some points on a daily basis. Here are the five positive things I did including some days when it was really bad. Like, okay, I got out of bed and I went to the office and I, and I exercised and I did these two positive things for the business just so I can rethink, re reprogram my stinking thinking. Yep. Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. And then definitely a lot of entrepreneurs that can sort of relate to that for sure. What, so what do you think? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Sorry. What, what do you think in, in terms of the majority of the clients you work with, like, what, what's the most common challenge that they face? Wow. You know, the, the most common challenge they face is really figuring out why they do what they do in the business. Why are they an entrepreneur? And I, I didn't know either. I was really blessed. About 12 years ago, I met a guy named Simon Sinek, and he helped me figure that out. It took me two years to figure out my two words. And my two words, my why is improve lives. And I'm working with a client, for example, who, who didn't, it was really struggling. His business revenue was flat and he couldn't get his leadership team going in the right direction for a lot of different reasons. And we really drilled into why he was doing this. And he, he was able to figure out that his purpose and passion in life was to create meaningful relationships. And he had these two people on his leadership team that were preventing the business from creating meaningful relationships. So he moves those people off the team, puts new leaders on. And within a year, his revenue grew 70%. And his profits grew 500%. So he, his business has taken off like a rocket. And he's now doing exactly what he knows he should be doing, which is creating these meaningful relationships through his business platform. That's where if we can get people to understand 
why they do what they do. And it's not just to make money. Listen, I, I'm all about being a capitalist. We, we should be in, in business to make money, but it's that why we do it that will help us lean into uncomfortable conversations that will get us out of bed on the days we don't want to go in. That'll get us to fire the client who doesn't fit our core values. It'll get us to hire people who fit our core values. So it takes that knowing why we're doing it, which I find is the, usually the first thing I have to get leaders to figure out for themselves. Yeah, I, I would say, I totally agree with you. I would say there is a few people whose natural personality is either the money or the, the sort of power that comes with it, right? And I think I think that's one of the things that I, I feel is important to respect because I know, I definitely know people who sometimes feel a bit ashamed of that. Like mm -hmm. there's definitely people who are very competitive who's in this game to make a lot of money and that is the core driver. And I think that's okay as well, right? But exactly as you said, like you need to figure out your why, you need to figure out what drives you. And I mean, I, I, I am definitely not in any way motivated by money, right? Which, sure, sure. which can both be a strength and a weakness, right? Oh, of course, but, of course. But, but I definitely see, like I've seen so many people who exactly, as you say, they, they have this outside world expectation, you know, their parents or their partner or whatever, you should be making more money. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. You should feel this and that. And, and, and really getting that mindset right can, can definitely be very difficult, right? Because again, looking at the world around you, like it's, it's easy to get dragged into it. And it's, the, the worst thing is it's easy to feel the world is unfair, and it's oh, easy totally. to feel stuff happens to you. Absolutely. Okay. And I think a lot of that is like, so when I, when I was $600,000 in debt, I was pretty good at telling myself that the world was unfair. And I, I was pretty good at pointing the finger at other people, not looking in the mirror and addressing the biggest problem in the room. And, and so what I did is I, I figured out I had to create an intention of what I wanted. And my intention was I want to get out of debt. But I didn't, I didn't, and my coach was so good at this. He goes, don't expect you know exactly how you're going to get out of debt. Just have the intention. So over the course of it, you know, we figured out how to get out of debt and then the business grew, but it was all around that intentional thought process without that expectation attached. And going back to your point, I was working with a client who in, the, in a leadership meeting said, well, I'm in business to make a lot of money. No problem. Once I was able to have him share with his team why a lot of money was important to him, and it took him back to being about six years old and growing up in abject poverty and not having ever any money in the, and, the, and the, the fears that created, you know, think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. His baseline fears around safety were very threatened due to the poverty he grew up in. Then we had a better understanding of why money was so important to him and why money was one of the biggest scorecards in his life. So I think even for people who have money as one of the biggest drivers and money can do, you know, money can buy a lot of freedom. Um, if we can help them figure out why money is so important and why money is one of the four thinking, then we as coaches can really anchor them into that and then get the leadership team rallied around that going forward, then transformational changes can come into play. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think I like the way you think about it and talk about it. Right. Because I, I do see a lot of coaches that's like, Oh no, you shouldn't do it for money. You need to find your deeper why. And, and I think for most people it is correct. Money is not the driver, but there's definitely exceptions. And I've had quite a few clients where, where money really have been the key driver. And as you say, for, for various reasons. Right. But, but I think that's really important. And what, whatever is the driver for people, I think it's important not to shame them, right? Like you need- Oh gosh, they, yeah, per, yeah. Sh sh shame, yes, absolutely. Could not agree with you more. You know, I believe it's the role of a coach is to manage all of our clients the same way as individuals. And, and when we manage somebody individually, 
then it's our job to help them figure out how to be the best version of themselves they can be. So if they are, if they are about wanting to make a lot of money, no problem. One, you know, it's, the concern about I have in the coaching community is the one size fits all model. Well, if we just put this process in or that process in, then it's going to work great. Processes are completely needed. I could not, I, I don't want to give anybody listening today the, the perception. I think a process is a, is a waste of time. Processes, whether it's a, you know, EOS process or a scaling up process, they're great processes. It's, it's our job as the coaches to figure out, you know, a lot of times this is what I find is, you know, the leaders aren't using the process. Well, why? There, there's a reason why you're not doing the process. The process works if you do it. It's like, kind of like, I want to lose weight. Perfect. Well, if we change our diet and we change our exercise routine, most likely we're going to lose weight and get in better shape, but I can't get off the couch. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. And I, I, I think a lot of the time, right, when, when you're looking at people and, and when you're really looking at their core motivations, like a lot of the time, it's, it's very interesting to see all the different perspective people come with and all the different backgrounds. And for me, like how they end up there. But exactly as you were saying earlier, right? Like I, I see this as a coach, exactly like management, right? Like I, I've run a couple of businesses beside my coaching and it's exactly the same. Like when you manage people, you have to manage them as individuals. You can't yeah. just manage them and say, hey, everyone's the same. Just like when you coach people, right? Everyone's right. individual right. and you need to understand that. Well, to, to, you can even expand it beyond the coaching and beyond the employees or for anybody who's got more than one kid. You, you know, you've got to manage your kids as individuals. So, you know, one, one kid's going to be motivated by, by external reasons. Other kids are going to be motivated, you know, more injured. We have to see them. Everybody's an individual. And the quicker we can learn as coaches, and that's really, I think, uh, the, the art of, of coaching people and being a resource. Every, everybody, whether it's a, a child in your house or a client, they all have their own hero's journey they want to take. And it's not my job as a coach to tell them where their hero's journey should take them. It's my job as the coach to guide them on their journey and then to see sometimes maybe some, some potholes they're going to step in or some cliffs they're going to potentially go over and to be those guardrails on those journeys so I can help and support them. But they're always responsible for their journey. I just have, we just have to guide them. It's, it's not our job to figure out necessarily whether their journey is a good journey or a bad journey. It's their journey and our job is to help them figure out how to attain it. And if there's going to be bottlenecks in that process, how, how do we help remove them? Yep. I love that. I love that, Todd. So from a, from a client perspective, who, who are sort of the typical clients you work with? Like what kind of situation are they generally in? You know, that's a great question. I think my typical client comes to me because they recognize that they need to change. They, they, I have a client the other day said to me, basically, you know, I came to you because I hit my entrepreneurial rock bottom. It's like somebody has got a substance challenge. I've hit bottom. Goes, and I realized that, you know, hearing your story and hearing how you work with other people, you could be that, that resource for me. I mean, coaching is such a trust relationship and it's such a connecting relationship. And if, if the clients don't believe that coaches like you and I have their best interest at heart, then there's going to be a fracture in that trust. So first it's always, it's a trust thing. And that, and that trust thing is such an emotional thing. It's not a logical thing. It, 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 it ties into their heart and it ties into their, it, in their gut. Like I, I was, just, I just had a coaching client call this morning and it was, uh, it's a client of mine on the East coast here in, in the United States. And it took her six months to make the decision to engage with me. She goes, I knew six months ago, 
I just had to wrap my brain around that it was time for me to ask for help. And then I heard you on a podcast talking about how you asked for help. I'm like, okay, that's my guy. So typically they reach a ceiling of complexity within their business and they can't grow beyond it. So whether they've reached a, you know, 5 million or 500,000, they, they, whatever reason, whatever they've been doing is not getting to the next level. So they, they engage with, with me and I help, you know, inside out. It's, I, I, I can't fix the business until I help them fix themselves and figure out why they're, they're spinning their wheels, get them unstuck, take the complicated problems they have, simplify them, complex to simple, and then put them through a process so that within a relatively short period of time, assuming they engage correctly and assuming they follow through and, and hold, their, hold them massively accountable, then that's when they start getting the momentum they're going. And, and then they recognize and realize like, holy cow, trying to do that all by myself was really freaking hard. I'm glad to have you. Yeah, and that's um, and personally, I, I love using coaches. The the one thing, like early on in my career, I I ended up using them a little bit too much because I wasn't, you know, sometimes I used a coach when I hadn't really made the decision. I'm like, oh, I would like to do do this thing. Let me get a coach, but I hadn't committed to it, right? So basically, sure. my my the, the way I generally tell people is that don't get a coach before you committed. And you know you want to change, right? right. Because well, that, it, that both wasted their time and your time, right? And, and, so, and your money. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, money is, you yeah. know, it's important we spend it wisely. It's funny. I, so I had a coach in 2006 from, 2000, from about six years from six to 2000 or, you know, 2006 to about 2012. And I switched coaches. That coach and I, we, we left on great terms. Like he goes, I can't really teach you anything else. Perfect. You need somebody else. So now I've had the same coach now for seven years. So I have coaches in my life for pretty much, my gosh, the last 15 years, give or take. And the coach I use now is a, is a scientist. He's a neuroscientist. He's a medical doctor. He, he, he's a brain surgeon. And he tells me why, how our brains fire and why we do what we do. Because I find with my clients, the biggest challenge is getting them unstuck. So if I can help them change the doom loop in their head, change the way they talk to themselves, change the way they they inside out how they work with their people how they work with their families how they show up then we're able to get them unstuck and i only can do that because i as a coach still use a coach yeah, yeah so it's funny you say that right because i'd say so i used to work a lot with corporate managers and what i found like 90 percent of the time when someone corporate was doing good and then stopped performing it was always because they had problems at home, like either problems mm -hmm. with their family, mm -hmm. problems with their spouse or whatever. And it, it, like I felt after a while, I sort of felt like I was a relationship consultant more than, <laughs> than this big coach sure. because there was so many, like exactly as you say, if the person isn't right, if you, if, you, if you as an individual are struggling with things, that reflects on your performance and how you show up, right? Oh, uh, totally. I would say working with entrepreneurs, I don't see it as much, but it definitely still comes true sometimes. Uh, I would say with entrepreneurs, it's it's often a lot more, it's often a lot more this guidance role, right? I mean, I I, I run a few businesses. I have, uh, I mean, I, I have a couple of hundred people nearly now, but uh, but I think fundamentally, the whole thing is. I mean, just like when I need a coach, right? It's it's that hand-holding thing. Like I, I haven't spent a lot of time in the gym in my life, but when I have a coach, you know, if I go and try and do stuff in the gym myself, like I can do that and it's cheaper and I get like 5% of the results, right? Sure. And it's it's exactly the same mindset behind it, right? Like every time I 
really commit to something. I always try and find a coach or, you know, sometimes it could be a friend or something, but, but oh, sure, someone who, sure. who, who can help you really take that next big step, right? Because right. else, so many people, they're just stuck in the same situation. They're stuck in the same area and, you know, they need to get unstuck. So that for sure, it, you know, it's, it's what, I, what I see a lot is you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are rugged individualists. They think they have to do everything by themselves. And in a, like you're talking even about the gym, it's like, when we try to do things by ourselves, we're going to get a certain level of success, no, no doubt about it. But really, when things get tough or things get challenging, you know, an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. And if they, they're trying to get unstuck with methodologies or thought processes or systems they built 10 years ago, like I was struggling with, you know, that those systems are outdated. Those thought processes need to evolve. And combined that, you know, when I, you know, growing, you know, watching my son grow up, he's now, tw he just turned 29 now, but when he was at home, wherever I went, I, I was always the entrepreneur, but also wherever I went, I was also a single dad. So I had work-life integration going on all the time. And there was always that, that, that dynamic of, of the business needs me or my child needs me. And I used to have to explain to him, I said, you know, when, when we're together, I want to give you very focused time, but it's going to be in very small pieces, maybe an hour or two. It's sometimes difficult to spend the entire day with you because of the needs of the clients, the needs of the candidates, and the creative recruiting company. And he had to understand and accept that so that he understood that you know, work-life integration was wherever we go. And now that he's a professional, and now that he works uh, pretty much independently, he's able to really manage that very well and, and, and have balance. Not, he doesn't have to worry about having balance because he knows balance is a falsehood, but it's always integration. And, and again, it's, it's one of the things that I'm proudest of that I was able to teach him that as his dad. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a, it's a very interesting point, right? I, I see two things that happens particularly in, in the sort of entrepreneurial universe. And one of them is this typical thing that I hear all the time where people are like, yeah, yeah, you know, just take what you have in your head, put it in a process and give it to someone to do. And, you know, if there's something else you need, you, you go figure it out, put it in a process and give it to someone else to do. And it creates this false expectation that people need to know everything that goes on in their business. They need to oh, own every yeah. process. They need to update every process. And while I get it from a, when you're brand new, just starting out, it's actually one of the things that inhibits people the most because they get so used to being the center of knowledge, they become the center of the universe. And for most people, people always asking them a question, them feeling really smart is actually, it confirms them. It helps them yes. paint the picture to themselves that, yeah, I'm really smart. People always ask me questions and I know the answer. I'm great. But it so inhibits the business from growing, right? It really does. And that, that's what I went through back in 06. I used, that my imposter syndrome really flared up when I didn't have those answers. And then I felt I should have those answers. And I, you know, I thought I should be all things to all people all the time and have all the answers to every question. Well, when you're starting off and you are, you know, in sales and operations and accounting and H, you are everything for the business. Well, that works out. Okay. But you know, as we're growing and scaling the company and we, you know, we had at one point, we had like 700 employees on payroll at, on assignment at our clients and they're hitting us with different questions and my staff didn't know something. It'd come to me and I could give them an answer. But as the questions became more sophisticated, more compl complicated as different regulatory pieces came into place and different government programs, I couldn't handle it all, but I didn't want to ask for help because I got a little of that, that mojo, a little of that, that firing of the juices of like, Oh, I know all the answers to everything. Yeah. Bring it, bring it, bring it. Oh crap. I don't know. Now what do I do? And I tried to fake my way through it. I failed miserably at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very common. 
and it's uh i mean i i i find that it's it, it tend to be two things it's that and then it's the mindset right because again the problem is a lot of people when they start out they they are the expert right like they start out as you know that could be a plumber or whatever but they are the guy that knows it all and then as soon as they hire people that they're still so used to being the expert and it's so difficult to let go of that thing right and I, th- mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of the things that I spend the most time with my clients actually working on letting go because it is one of the things that just it holds people back so badly and you, you really it, it generally takes a bit of time to let go of the mindset but as soon as you start seeing some quick wins and as soon as you see you know someone else can actually do the stuff I used to do Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it's so reinforcing itself. So it's, it's, I love seeing that happen. So it, it's incredibly rewarding. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I really challenge my clients to become servant leaders within the organization. And I, I ultimately try to get them to distill it down as the, a CEO of a very highly functioning organization. And the CEO of a highly functioning team really only has two jobs. Their first job is to remove all bottlenecks within the organization. So if there's a, if there's a problem with the software, then they approve a new software. If there's a problem in a, a department, they, they approve the changes and they're, they're contributed to the leadership team. The second thing they, I argue that my clients really should do is once they've removed the bottlenecks, their job is to make it quote unquote easy to work with me. So it's easy to be my employee and it's easy to be our customer. And our, it goes back to removing the bollocks. There's usually a reason why it's difficult to do business with somebody. You know, I tried to, I just had this happen the other day. I tried to go to a company website, tried to order their product. And there were so many steps in, in 2020 to order this product on their website. I, I said, forget it. I went to found the same product on eBay and just bought it there because it was an easier buying experience. And, and it was so frustrating for me. And you, you hear it. I hear about this from my clients, employees on occasion. We're like, you know, we have all these ideas and, we, you know, we, we put them in a committee and then the committee, by the time, by the time we get a decision made eight months later, the idea is obsolete. We've got to find a way to iterate quicker and, the, and get the, the owner, the CEO, the entrepreneur at times to be okay with, you know, failing forward. We're going to try it. If it doesn't work, it's okay. We're going to still learn that the dollars are going to be very small, but the, the, the upside is huge. Let's get boss. Let me try it. And, and I challenge them. I said, if you're going to let them try something, just let put proper metrics, proper KPIs in place, and then step back and give them two weeks to see how they do. Worst case scenario, you've earned their trust because you let them try something new. But what if it does work? Let, let, let's, let's put our neck out there just a little bit for a small dollar because the upside could be huge. It, but make it easy for your employees to come to you with new ideas. Make it easy for customers to buy from you. Remove the bottlenecks within the organization. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I tend to say a CEO only have two jobs. One is hire the people that works directly for him and to get the most out of those people. There you uh, go. As, as in, uh, like for me particularly, it's sort of one-to-ones. It's, it's building that relationship with the people that works directly for you and really empowering those people, right? Um, I, I, I think, again, I, I like the way you look at it. I, I think, though, Again, as the CEO, I don't want to have to deep dive in the organization and find bottlenecks. I, I want to I wanna empower the staff below me to be able to, uh, capable to do that, right? But obviously, sometimes stuff like that costs money and you need to approve it. But, but I, think, I think generally for me, it's all about people, right? It's all about oh. like, if, you, if, you, if you can hire great people, if you can put the right people in the right places, 
99% of the challenges get solved, right? Oh, because 100% of the problems in business are people. It's the people, you know, I love these, these, these processes where they talk about, well, you know, it, you know, businesses, cash, strategy, execution, and, and staff. I'm like, th those are parts, those are, those are mechanisms within the business machine, truly, no doubt about it. The reality is, though, riding above all those are people. People make all the decisions about the cash. People make all the decisions about the strategy. People make all the decisions about the execution of said strategy. It's, it's always people. So to your point, if we can pick the best people to work for us, the competitive advantage is, is almost impossible to measure. It's so powerful. Yeah. yeah and, I, and, and this is one of the things that, again, entrepreneurs don't always understand, right? But the value of a business is really the employees. Like it's not the product. It's not the service. It's the people in the business, Correct. and it it is like it, it is so critically important to invest in those people. I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves in most organizations is the fact that they don't invest in developing their leaders. Right now, that's a fair 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 game to say that you know people who want to be top leaders should develop themselves to a certain extent. But I think the biggest trick that majority of businesses are missing is they're not developing the leaders effectively enough, right? Well, and I think sometimes it goes down to what you said earlier is sometimes the leaders of the organization like being the oracle. They like being the person who controls all the information flow. They like having all the answers. So good people are going to leave those organizations. They're not going to put up with that nonsense. They're going to want to make a contribution, especially when you take a look at, especially millennials coming into the workforce are really fascinating for me to watch is millennials want freedom, flexibility and contribution. And if you give them those three things, they'll actually work for you for less money. It, it, it's, it's the people like, well, I don't, I, why would they do this? Because their overriding driver, their overriding reason to work is bigger and beyond just the paycheck. They can go get a paycheck anywhere. You know, one, you know, what was it? 90 days ago in the United States, there were 7 million more jobs than there were people looking for work. So they could go get a job anytime they wanted to back in the day. And if you could give them the flexibility, the freedom, and the ability to contribute to the organization at a higher level, then you've really got something. And that comes to the leader or to the key managers being able to sell the value prop of the organization, not just interview someone to come work in your organization. Yeah, and that's, uh, I love that point as well. So one of my key things when you're looking for staff is, um, I always say most people look at recruitment as being fulfillment. Like I need to fill a role, but for me, recruitment is sales, right? Like fundamentally you have to sell your company, but you have to sell it in the right way. Not like, Oh, this is an easy job. Come here, get right. a lot of money, do nothing. Like that's not how you sell it, but you have to sell the values. You have to, like I, I work with one client and they were literally like, you know, we work 16 hours a day. All of us, we have bets in the office if you need to sleep. And I'm like, probably not a healthy culture, but if you are hiring, you need to make sure it's people who are actually comfortable with that. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't uh, mislead someone. 16 hours a day at the company, that's, uh, that, that, that's a unique work culture. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I, I might be overestimating by a couple of hours, but, but, but you know, like, like a lot of the startups, particularly in the Valley, is like, you know, they're working crazy hours. They're, they're doing crazy stuff. And it's often like these young guys or young, young people who haven't got a lot of social life and stuff. And they're just so bought into this business. Right. Sure. But, sure. But, but the key thing is you, you have to find people who culturally fit that. Right. 
sales, oh, uh, selling it is not about tricking it. It's just like finding your ideal customer, right? It's not just anyone with a wallet. It's the people who really fit your business or fit your products or service, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So Todd, majority of my listeners are small business owners. Do you have a particular great tip that they can get either instant benefit from or very quickly see some advantage from using? Well, I, I think a couple of things come to mind for, for, you know, the startup entrepreneur, the smaller, you know, under five year sale, uh, under five year entrepreneurial cycle entrepreneur. And, and the first thing that really dawns on me is there is a gap when it comes to revenue versus margin that a lot of small businesses don't understand. I didn't understand it. You know, when I got into the staffing world, I, was very focused on getting to 20 million in revenue and I didn't really care how I got there. Beg, borrow, steal, cut bad deals, not take on the non-ideal client. Cause that was the, that was the finish line for me. And that got me into a lot of trouble that got, I wasn't watching the right dot. You know, I kind of look at the a business as kind of the, the gauges and the dials of the instrument panel of your car. And if I'm only focusing on how fast I can go, well, I'm not going to realize when I run out of gas. That's the only thing I'm working on. So, one of the things that we really had to understand when I did the turnaround was to focus on profitability. So we focused on the profitability. We increased the margin significantly of what we did, which made us unattractive to a lot of other clients. It made us, you know, we weren't the ideal vendor for those clients, but we still that. So we had to recognize and realize that. So the first thing was margin over margin over revenue. Second thing I would say to, to any entrepreneur getting started is what niche do you want to own? You can't be all things to all people all the time. So like for us, we were a, a temporary help company. And then we became a temporary help company who focused on manufacturing. Then we became a temporary help company that focused on manufacturing for skilled trades. Then we became a permanent placement company for manufacturing skilled trades. And then we picked three, three niches within that vertical. We became very hyper niched. Once I became hyper niched, that allowed me to figure out where that inflection point was. We found an increased demand and a diminished supply. And we decided to just go right after that, which allowed us to get paid faster. Cause we're, you know, back, you know, we are, I guess the third thing is don't be your client's bank, get, get paid in a reasonable amount of time. So for us, we, we found that spot and we were able to really then get out of the debt problem and then grow the business. So for us, it was profits over margin. Find your, like your super, super important hyper niche where you can get the most margin available to you and make sure you, you don't let your days outstanding sink your business because you can truly grow out of business because you run out of cash. Yeah, I, I love it. And I, I think, uh, I mean, it's two of the things I talk about a lot, right? But particularly the niching down, like I've worked with so many online business owners and, and they're always way too focused on trying to do this, like spread their wings and trying to get any customers anywhere that will pay them a little bit of money, right? But niching down is really, it's really so important for for getting the right results. And, and it's probably more important in the beginning, right? Because when, when you're trying to attract clients, like my, my typical example is people who build websites, right? Everyone get a hundred spam mails every day and say, hey, do you want a new website, right? If you do the same thing as you're like, oh, I build a website for anyone anywhere, you know, you, you don't stand out. And that might be a big potential client pool, but you'll get zero of it, right? Well, so. we, we can't be all things to all people all the time. It's just not, you know, there, there's one Amazon, there's one Walmart. I mean, it it's... 
what are you known for and what problem do you solve? So if you're a website developer, then really what, what problem do you solve in the, in the website market that nobody is solving? Is it as a, we, we have, going back to my, my, my purchasing story for a few, from a few minutes ago, if, it's, if it takes 10 steps for me to buy off of your website, then you're not solving my problem because I live in a, in a two-click world. So, well, you know, what we do in the website, you know, someone could say what, we, what I do in the website world is we make the buying experience easier than any other web developer because everything we do is one step. Oh, okay. And in, in, in the eyes of the consumer, I now know what I'm buying from you. If you're, you know, like you, I'm sure you get approached all the time for people to redo your website. And I get these, these spam mails and, and they can't, when I ask them, I said, well, here's what I have. And how are you going to make it better? The answers are so generic and they're so broad based. Whereas you say, hey, listen, here's what I've done for three other people in your niche. Here's the results they've gotten. Here's the numbers attached to them. And I can do the same thing for you. Now they've got my attention. People, you know, people, seasoned buyers make decisions based upon ROI not on um, the, the we're going to if come try it nonsense. What can you do to, to, to make my life easier as the CEO and as the leader of my organization? If, and if my website stinks, you can improve it. And you can tell me how you're going to improve it. Again, going back to the, the th simplest things, you're going to improve the experience for my employees. You're going to improve the experience for my customers. And you can tell me how you're going to do that. Then I'm going to listen versus we're just going to make it prettier. Well, I'm not really sure that's important to me. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Totally. That makes sense. Uh, Todd, before we finish off, any other resources or any other things that you recommend for people that they should take a listen to or look at? Or Well, you know, I, I always recommend to entrepreneurs, never stop learning. Be a lifelong learner. Listen to podcasts like yours. Read books. Figure out you know, what the, the future is looking like. So in the, last, in the last 90 days, I've read about eight books because I've had time. And I'm cranking through them. I'm reading books. I'm reading books on website developing. I don't want to go de develop a website ever. I do not want to do that. But I want to know how it's done so that I can ask better questions. Because sometimes the leader's biggest job is to ask the best question in the room, not to be the smartest person in the room. So for me, you know, I remember, I remember reading, you know, something from Mark Cuban. And he talked about every day he reads anywhere from three to five hours so we can look for that one good idea or come up with that one question to ask people. So I always tell people to, you know, Continue to be a lifelong learner. Don't 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 stifle your your ability to grow your business because you've gotten complacent. Yeah, that makes total sense, Todd. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think learning is. I mean, I, I had pretty much twelve years where I literally read a book a week, and that was that was my management education, if you will. And yeah, it it just made it, it was interesting because when I first started. I was actually reading stuff that I, I used probably 10 years later. So it wasn't even like a lot of the stuff I was reading at a point in time, like it wasn't even relevant at that point in time. But again, the whole thing is the, the more understanding, the more you, the more you get a topic, the, the, the more it will become valid at one point and another. Right. Oh, that's sure. really, that's really the key thing. So Todd, if people are desperate to get hold of you, or want to connect with you, what's the best way to do so? Sure. The best place to catch up with me is on my website, extra, extraordinaryadvisors.com. Um, and anybody who's, who's heard me on the show today and, and wants to connect with me, I'm happy to give you 30 minutes of my time for free. I've been doing this literally with entrepreneurs around the globe during the COVID pandemic. I've talked to entrepreneurs in Cape Town and in, in India and 
all around the United States, in Canada, in New Mexico, in into Belgium. It's been crazy just to, to be a resource, to, to exhibit the servant leadership that I believe in. So just email me at Todd at ExtraordinaryAdvisors.com, and I'm happy to set up a call with you to talk you through whatever's, whatever's on your mind, whether it's the imposter syndrome, whether it's the bottlenecks within your organization, whether it's, you know, what are the what are the top five books you suggest I read? I'm going to be a startup entrepreneur. I had a guy call me with that one time. He's like, if I was going to start, I'm starting my business. I need what were the top five books I should read? And I laid those out for me. Like, oh, good to you know, go to the classics, good to great, and you know, Rockefeller habits, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, so that you can grow your business. So I'm happy to be a resource. It's now is a time to to come together as a community, and I'm happy to be part of the solution. Awesome. Thank you very much, Todd, and to everyone else. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.